Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Marketing Agency Show, where we explore solutions to the biggest challenges faced by agencies. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me for the Marketing Agency Show, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Brooke Sellis, and this is the show for agency owners and agency marketers. We explore the topics that no one else is talking about. So pull up the seat to the table and let's have a great conversation. Today, I'll be joined by Dan Gingis, a 20-year customer experience leader. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Let's transition over to this week's guest, Dan. To help explore the frontier of working at and growing agencies, here is this week's expert guide. Hey y'all, I'm super duper excited to be joined by the experience maker himself, Dan Gingis. If you don't know Dan, he has spent the last 20 years as a marketing and customer experience leader for companies like McDonald's, Discover, Humana, and the list goes on. He's also been named one of the world's top 30 customer experience professionals, and his most recent book ranks number four on Book Authority's top customer experience books of all time. Dan, welcome to the show. Hey there, Brooke. I am super duper excited as well for this conversation. Thanks for having me. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm fangirling a little bit because, you know, I'm all about digital CX. So I see all the things that you do and I'm just like thrilled to be talking to you today. So if you're listening or watching, I think if you're any kind of end to customer centric strategies, you're going to really enjoy today's talk. So first things first, Dan, what made you decide to take the leap and go out on your own? Well, I'm a big believer that the universe has plans for all of us. And sometimes the universe just tells you when it's time. And I had been doing a side hustle for a number of years while I was in corporate America because I wasn't quite sure. I wasn't quite ready. 
But the good thing was, is I was getting the reps in on stage. I was learning how to work with other clients. And it really happened while I was at a late stage startup, right at the end of my career, my corporate career. And I just was miserable. And I woke up one morning and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Like, why am I going to a job that I'm miserable at? And I heard that this company was starting to lay some people off and that they were actually giving out some attractive severance packages. So I decided to walk in and raise my hand. And I had only been working there a year and I got a four-month severance package, which is crazy. Most places would have given you like a week or two. Yeah. And so I was like, that's it. That's the universe saying to me right now, now's the time to take the leap. And would I have liked six months? Of course. But, you know, four months, I figured that's basically my investment capital. And so I went off at the beginning of 2019, haven't looked back since, and now I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunity now for five years to be able to do what I really genuinely love. And I always used to joke with people that I would judge my job satisfaction based on how many times I hit the snooze button in the morning because I'm not a morning person. And now I get out of bed every morning and I'm ready to go because I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for my clients, for my audience, and I'm doing what I love. So it makes all the difference in the world. Ah, that's so beautiful. I love that so much. And I really like the advice of like, hey, how many times are you hitting the snooze button to decide maybe how excited you are to jump out of bed and go to work? So you're on your own. You've been on your own for five years. You've been doing great. I mean, we see, I see you everywhere. Maybe, maybe it's just me, but I see you on all the stage, on all of the places on social. So tell the audience listeners and watchers who maybe not are as familiar with you, what kind of clients you serve and what kind of work you like to do. What makes you get out of the bed in the morning? Sure. So first and foremost, I love speaking to audiences. It is just a skill set that I developed in corporate America that I found that I was really good at, that I really love to do, and that frankly is a pretty lucrative part of my business. So it was a trifecta for me. So I speak to audiences about the power of customer experience. And because I come at it from a marketer's lens, I really talk about how to create the kinds of experiences that lead to word of mouth marketing. That's what every company wants. At least I have not yet found a company that doesn't want more word of mouth marketing. And having been a marketer for 20 years and having worked in almost every marketing channel there is, I mean, literally, I got my start in direct mail and then went through all the digital channels. What I have found is that the single best way to get word of mouth marketing is to give people a remarkable experience. Uh, in the words of Bonnie Raitt, give them something to talk about, right? <laughs> yeah. And when we can do that, we have lots of people out there doing the marketing for us. And it is so powerful. So much of what I do is I do keynote speeches. I do workshops and trainings with individual companies. And I also do some direct consulting and coaching around how to improve the experience at, at any one specific company. Because one of the things I've developed over time is just this eye for being observant and seeing what's around me and being able to point out things about an experience that aren't necessarily obvious, but are also really easy to fix. And I'm a huge believer that so much of customer experience is common sense and it's little simple things. It's not massive investments in transformational projects. And so I love sharing that with the world and hopefully making uh, customer experience fun and accessible for everyone. 
I love that you said it's a small thing, really, because I think a lot of times when, when I'm talking to our clients about digital or really social media experience for their customers, you know, it, it, when we say like rolling out the red carpet for people, that's how they see CX, right? Like every customer has to get that red carpet. Every customer gets the parade down the road. And that feels scary and not scalable. But if you can break it down into like the little wins, like you're talking about, or just listening for Pete's sake and then, you know, giving them what they want, it doesn't have to be like this parade for every single customer, right? Exactly. There's a part of my talk where part of my methodology involves being extraordinary. And I explain how extraordinary simply means a little bit better than ordinary. So what extraordinary doesn't mean is we got to hire Beyonce for a private concert for our clients and follow it by a, a private fireworks show. Sure, if you got $50 million lying around and you can do that, why not? I mean, that would indeed be extraordinary. But most companies have to be extraordinary on a budget. And so when you think of extraordinary as just being a little bit better than ordinary, it's not as scary. It, because the good news is most of the time our competitors are ordinary. So we just have to be a little bit better because nobody shares an ordinary experience. So um, I think this is the smartest way to look at customer experience because it starts to involve everyone in the company and it creates a culture of being customer centric versus trying to make it into a project because we got plenty of projects to do. And let's face it, if we have to prioritize this project over another project, something's going to lose. But customer experience is one of those things that you should be doing all the time and that every employee should feel empowered to have as part of their job. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So for the agency owners who are listening or watching, what advice would you give them for being extraordinary, right? Like just going that extra step beyond that they could do no matter how big or small they are. Like what are some like really quick wins that they could maybe pull off? You know, there's a lot that's made about personalization. And I think that personalization is so much easier to do than it seems. Let me give you a bad example first. My bank, for a long time when I logged on, would say, good morning, Daniel. Now, they look at that as being personalized because they know it's morning and because they know my legal name is Daniel. But what they don't know is that the only person that calls me Daniel is my mother and only when she's mad at me. <laughs> so calling me Daniel actually makes me feel like you don't know me. I mean, it's literally a name that I would not turn around if you called me, you know, on the street. And so it has the opposite effect of personalization. It makes me convinced that the bank doesn't know me. Now, at some point I logged in and the bank said, what would you like us to call you? Okay, now we're on to something. I put in Dan and now when I log in, it says, good morning, Dan. Now that was pretty simple. Now, for an agency, I think there's even more of an advantage because most agencies don't have millions of clients. They don't even have hundreds of thousands of clients. They might not even have hundreds of clients. So how hard is it for you to actually get to know each and individual client? It isn't that hard. And so this can help you in all sorts of ways, not just in how we address people and that we call them by the name they want, but even when you're thinking about sending holiday gifts, for example. Wouldn't it be nice if you could send each client a gift that was meaningful to them? And maybe that's a different gift for each person. It probably is because they're all different people, right? But those are the kinds of ways that you can be extraordinary and that you can be so much more memorable than, for example, sending me yet another water bottle that I don't need with your logo on it, right? That's not extraordinary. 
Yeah, I love it. Okay, so let's say it's, we'll just take me as an example, right? Brooke is trying to learn from Dan and I want my agency to be more customer focused. Like what first three steps would you tell me, right? You know nothing about my business, just that I, you know, I serve a, a small number of clients, not hundreds and not thousands and certainly not millions. But what would you tell me the first three steps are that I should take to try to be a more customer focused or customer centric agency? Sure. I think the first thing is I would talk to your customers. What's amazing is when we ask our customers for feedback, they give it to us. And I don't just mean like a satisfaction survey. I mean, having a conversation and saying, tell me everything that you love about what we do and tell me everything about what you wish we did better. And then just be quiet and take notes. Because when you give people the opportunity to share genuine, honest feedback, they're going to tell you all the things that you need to know. And I always tell companies, you got to ask for both sides of it. And don't be afraid of the negatives. Don't be afraid of the complaints because people complain when they care. They want you to fix it, right? Brooke, you know, one thing that always annoys me is that every time we have a meeting, it starts five minutes late. Oh my gosh, thank you for telling me that. Like, Maybe I was aware of it, but I don't really, I'm not an on-time guy. I don't really care. But now that I know that bothers you, I'm going to make sure it never happens again. And is that hard for me to do? Not at all. But if you hadn't told me that, I would have never known that it was something that was sort of bothering you, right? And what we find often is that it's the little pain points. You know the expression, death by a thousand cuts? It's not yes. death by a thousand paper cuts, by the way. It's cuts was the original phrase. But Sometimes when we deal with businesses, it feels like that. It's like these just little annoyances over and over and over. And at some point, if you have enough of them and some other Brooke comes along and offers a better promotional deal, all of a sudden you're open to it when you never thought that you were before. So the first thing is ask your customers and have those deep conversations with them. It might be during your end of year review or you know some other time, but make sure that you really give them a chance to talk and don't accept the answer of everything's great. That's not enough. I need more feedback than that. Fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. It's fine. The yeah. F word. Yeah. So secondly, and this is a little bit hard in the agency world, but I think that you can approximate it. I always tell people in every business to become a customer of your own company. What that means is you have to be able to see things from the perspective of the customer. Let me give you an example from outside of the industry. Uh, I do a lot of work in the dental industry. And one of the things that I learned is that most dentists intentionally place their office in the back of the building and they have a back entrance that they can walk in. Now, the reason they do this is because the first appointment might start at 9, they're stumbling in at 8.59, and they don't want to have to walk through the reception area with everybody waiting. They want to walk in the back. Okay, I get that as a strategy. But if the dentist never walks in through the front door, then they never see that there's fingerprints on the glass. They never see that the magazine rack hasn't been updated since before COVID. They never see that we're out of coffee and that there's no pencils in the pencil jar. They never see that because they never actually view their own practice from the patient's perspective. So we have to do the same thing. We don't have a physical space probably that we're walking into, but we have a website. We might have an app. We might send out contracts. We might send out invoices. Send them to yourself so that you receive them 
And you read them from the perspective of a customer, not from the perspective of an owner, because we get so close to our own materials. So go to your website and spend some time on it as an observer. If this is really too hard for you, then ask somebody else to do it, right? Like maybe Brooke, I go look at your website and you look at my website and we help each other out by providing objective feedback as potential customers. That's something that is so valuable because we, we get so close to all of our materials that it doesn't occur to us to think about it from the perspective of the customer. And then the third thing I would say is to be aware of every touch point that you have with your clients because everyone matters and everyone is an opportunity to create an experience. Oftentimes we have interactions that are just not experiential and that's okay. Not everything has to be, you know, rah, rah. But sometimes when we have a part of the experience that is sort of blah, that presents an opportunity. And if you can go from something that's blah to something that's really cool, now you've made a ton of progress. And so all of the little things matter. It's like when you get, you know, one of those meal delivery services and like there's fun stuff on the outside of the box and like you're pulling apart the box to go recycle it. And there's like a hidden note, you know, in there that you found and you feel like you're really special because you saw the funny joke or whatever it is. And I always think, man, they were already printing this box. So how much effort did it take? to add a little joke on there that made right. me laugh, right? It took nothing. It cost nothing other than maybe a little time. That's an example of creating an experience where one didn't exist. And when we can do that, even with just little things, we become so much more memorable. You said that and I immediately thought of Snapple. I remember when I was younger, I don't I don't drink it now because of the sugar, but I, when I was younger, I used to, I couldn't wait to, you know, pop the top and then look underneath at what the little saying was. But like, yep. same idea, right? Like, I don't know what that costs. I don't know if it costs anything because they had to make the cap anyhow. But, and everybody's going to open the drink to drink it. So it's just like adding a little like fun mystery element or something. And what I love about that example is it has nothing to do with the actual product, right? It has nothing to do with whether you like the tea or not. It has nothing to do. It doesn't change the flavor. It doesn't change the appearance, but it is part of the drinking experience. And that is why it is just a little bit better than opening up a competitive brand of tea that doesn't have that kind of thing. Yeah. So smart. So when you're talking to the customers that you have or clients that you have, and I know a lot of them are, are big and wide and maybe some of them are smaller, but no matter big, small or otherwise, what do you feel like the number one challenge is that you see with your clients when it comes to prioritizing the customer? And then how do you or what advice do you give for them to overcome that obstacle? Well, let me start with the advice first, because then I think you'll get the obstacle. If I ask any company whether it is a, a small agency or a large consumer packaged goods company, whatever it is, if I ask what is your number one asset of your company, there is only one answer, our customers. Because it is the only answer that if you take it away, we don't have a business, right? I can have a business without employees. I do have a business without employees. <laughs> I'm one person. Right. I can't have a business without customers. So, our customers are our number one asset. And so then it begs the question, so why don't we spend more time making them happy? And why don't we spend more time making sure that they stay with us versus going to the competition? And when we think about that, 
more often, then we value each customer more. And then we start to consider ways to make working with us easier, more convenient, faster, more enjoyable, more fun. Any of those things are all great steps, but it starts with acknowledging that without customers, we don't have a business. Gosh, I love it. Such a great answer. Okay. So for anybody who's watching or listening and they're like, yes, I'm, they're, they're feeling it like I am, right? And they want to do this. How would you suggest that they integrate some of that customer feedback into their operational or strategic decisions, right? How can the small guy or, you know, an agency owner who's listening or watching again, how can they incorporate some of this into their customer feedback into their business? So there's three steps in customer feedback. And most companies do either the first step or the first two steps, and they forget the third step. The three steps are to collect the feedback. That's number one. And again, we talked about having conversations. You can do surveys. Absolutely. Those are fine. Sometimes you have things like online reviews or social media comments. That's all feedback that you can collect. The second step is to analyze that feedback. Because one piece of feedback does not necessarily make a trend. And if you talk to me and I say, I really wish that you would start on time instead of five minutes late, another customer might say, you know, I really love that you start five minutes late because I'm never on time. So you can't assume that just because one person says it, that that's the answer for everybody. So we analyze the feedback. We look for trends. We look for things that are coming up more often. Most organizations stop there. And in big companies, what happens is you have an analytics team that puts together a report that says, here's what we heard and here's what it all means. Plop it on the CEO's desk. The problem is the CEO does not need any more reports. They got plenty of them already to read. So the third step is taking action on what we've learned. And that's the part that if we forget to do that, then it didn't matter that we collected the feedback or analyzed it if we don't take action on it. And I know this stuff sounds obvious, but I'm telling you, I see it over and over and over again that people collect it and they analyze it and they say, here you go. Here's how we're doing. We're doing great. Our NPS score is blah. Awesome. So what? What do we do next? How do we make it better? How do we make our customers happier? What are some of the complaints that we're hearing or some of the pain points that we can start to fix? And so that's when we're taking action. The last part about taking action is closing the feedback loop. And we call it a loop for a reason. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you as a consumer, but when a company comes back and says, we heard you, we listened, and we made this change because of your feedback, doesn't that make you feel amazing? Yes. Don't you feel like you've been heard, you've been listened to, that this company knows me, and so you want to be more loyal? That's the last part of taking action. You got to take the action and then go back to the people that suggested it and say, thanks so much for your feedback. We listened to you and here's what we did about it. Yes, we did the thing. I love that so much. And you mentioned NPS. So that's, that's a perfect layout for my next question. How do we measure this stuff? Because we just put together a, a state of social CX report for social care. And that was the number one or one of the top reasons people said that they were having problems with, with social support was that they just couldn't understand how to measure it or what the value is. So how do you guide your clients on KPIs or NPS scores or metrics, whatever it is? How do you help them figure out how to measure this thing and show results for the CEO instead of the report? Sure. So broadly speaking, 
we have to understand if in the spirit of customer experience and getting into the shoes of our customers, we have to understand what our executives want to hear. Let's get into their shoes. At the end of the day, executives care about two things, dollars and cents. That's what they care about. And so we've got to bring our metrics down to dollars and cents. Otherwise, the, the question becomes, why do I care? Right? Oh, hey, our social media sentiment went up 3% this month. So what? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Did that get me more sales? Did that get me more customers? Like if it doesn't, then it doesn't matter from the position of a C-level executive. And so we've got to focus on where are the dollars and cents. Now in customer experience, they're going to come from a couple of places. On the revenue side, they're going to come from more customers that walk in the door because customers want to work with companies that treat them well, right? When I say the name Nordstrom, you think amazing service, right? And so you want to go shop there because of their amazing service. We also can look at things like referrals. So when we get people talking about us and we don't even have to ask them and any agency owner lives on referrals, but the best referrals are the ones you don't even have to ask for where you pick up the phone and it's like, hey, it's Sally. Uh, I was talking to Brooke the other day and she said that you're the experience maker himself and I need to talk to you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Brooke's the best, right? <laughs> and I didn't have to ask you to do that. So we can track that. We can track how much new business are we getting because of referrals. And that can be something that we measure and that we, that we strategize around increasing because referrals are a whole lot easier than say, I don't know, Google ads or other paid advertising that's going to cost us a whole lot of money. On the flip side, we can look at our retention rate. How many of our customers stay and renew every year versus the ones that leave. So sometimes people refer to it as retention rate and sometimes they refer to it as churn rate, which is the opposite. Doesn't matter, it's, the, it's just the opposite percentage. But how many of our customers are we keeping? If I go to a CEO and say, hey, we are now keeping 10% more customers than we were last month. And I know that each customer, because I've calculated this, is worth lifetime value, $1,000 to us. I can tell the CEO now, the dollar amount, the value of what I just did. I increased our retention rate by 10% and each of those people spends an average of $1,000. You're welcome, right? Now we're talking dollars and cents. So when we start with things like sentiment in social media or even NPS, NPS is a great metric to tell you how you are doing at a moment in time. What it doesn't tell you is why. And so I watch tons of companies religiously measure NPS. And whenever it goes up from month to month, they're all high-fiving and they're cheering and they're clinking glasses and they're patting themselves on the back. And then whenever it goes down, they're blaming the pandemic or climate change or Elon Musk or whoever else <laughs> they want to blame, they're mm -hmm. going to blame. But the, the truth is they don't have any idea why their NPS is going up or down. And so as a measurement alone, it tells you something, but it doesn't tell you enough. And it is increasingly more difficult to get down to the dollars and cents level. One more thing on where customer experience affects. So I gave you a couple of revenue examples. We get more customers. Generally, they're going to spend more with us. They're going to stay longer and they're going to refer people. So those are all revenue generators. On the flip side, you have cost savings. And that generally comes from a lessening need for service. 
There's a great quote in my book that I wish I said, but I did not say it. I quoted somebody else. And he says that customer service is what happens when customer experience breaks. <gasps> so good. So we don't ever call customer service just to tell them they're doing a great job, right? We call them when we have a problem. If there were no problems, we wouldn't need customer service. And so whatever money that you are spending on these service elements of your business, if you can reduce that, you're going to save money. That's a big piece as well. And I guess I would also say the other cost savings is that you can reduce your acquisition costs because as I mentioned before, referrals are a lot cheaper than other marketing channels. And so now if you're doing it right, you don't spend as much on marketing and sales. That's money back into the business that we can put into other places. Yeah. Such great advice. We are big fans of customer lifetime value over here and tying some of the stuff that we do into that. But also what you were just saying about like savings, because, you know, typically traditional customer support costs like $6. For one of our financial brands, we know it costs $14 every time someone calls in. Social, on the other hand, and solving on the channel of choice, if you can solve it on the channel of choice, usually only costs about a dollar. So, you know, that's a big savings. And it's also not breaking that chain of, you know, this is where they are on their journey. It happens to be on this digital channel. This is the channel they've chosen. This is their choice. So you have to service them there. Otherwise, why do you have a platform there? Here's what I always love to say Have you ever called up a call center and they answer the phone and they say, I'm sorry, but would you mind tweeting us instead? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's how you. stupid it is, right? It's so silly. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. This is why we need to be friends. Um, <laughs> we so, are friends. We're already there. Uh, let's talk about technology because it's big for what's going on in our world right now. But I'm assuming, you know, with everything that's happening with AI, there's so many facets of business that AI and other technologies can help. So what's your viewpoint on technology mixed, you know, when we're talking about a customer experience and are there any like innovative tools or platforms that you think, you know, anybody who's watching or listening should, should consider? So I think what's going on right now with AI and ChatGPT and all the generative AI clones is unbelievable. And I tend to be a guy that is not a shiny object chaser. I, I like to let other people go figure this stuff out and then I'll, I'll come aboard a little bit late. But I'll tell you the first time I ever went on a chat GPT, I'm like, this is amazing. And we are in the, to use a baseball reference, maybe the second inning of the power of AI. And so it's only going to get better. And so, yeah, we have to be careful today because ChatGPT contains errors and doesn't always say things that are accurate. And then sometimes it doesn't, sound like us and you know we have to train it etc but the technology is only going to get better and what i would say is that if you always look at technology as being complementary to the human interaction you're going to be in good shape if you look at technology as an opportunity to replace humans you're generally going to go down a bad path i think when chatbots first came out a lot of companies said, awesome, now we don't need a social care team. Now we don't need a customer service team. We'll just let the chatbots do it. Well, we know how that turned out. Chatbots, especially at the beginning, were lousy. And frankly, today are still not a whole lot better. They're getting there, but you know they don't replace the human interaction. And even right now, the best chatbots, when they get confused or when they can't answer the question, they bring you to a human immediately without you asking. So when we think about it as being complementary to the human engagement, then I think it opens up 
to so many more possibilities and gets us thinking creatively about how to use it in a better way. In my own business, I find that I can take something that I've already written and I can ask ChatGPT for help in maybe adjusting it from one industry to another. You know, what are some of the things I should be thinking of? I wrote this for a retail client. Now I'm going to go talk to somebody in construction. Can you take this and help me reword it so that somebody in construction may, it's more pertinent to them? That's a great use versus going to it and saying, hey, just write it for me because <laughs> I'm too lazy to write it. Don't do that. It's, it's a difference, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and so, okay, let's pretend like everybody's completely in line with the two of us. They are just as giddy about this stuff as we are. How do you tell them or your customers and clients, like if they want to wear the customer hat, what mind shift has to happen and what should they be thinking about constantly to be able to wear that hat of the customer and to keep it on? Okay, so it's fascinating that you specifically used those words because I need to tell you a little side story. Okay. And it's about what absolutely the moment that my career got changed for the better. So I was at Discover Card for almost 10 years and I was a pure marketer. As I said, I had worked in all different marketing channels. I got recruited by the head of digital to be the head of digital customer experience and social media. Fun fact, if you go on to the platform formerly known as Twitter and you look at the day that I signed up for it, it was the day I took that job because I was like, man, if I'm going to oversee a social media team, I better figure out this Twitter thing. But I also asked him, why did you recruit me for this job? I've never done customer experience in my life. And what he said to me, I swear to you, what he said to me was, I've been watching you in business meetings and you are always the person that's wearing the customer hat. That's what he said to me. Wow. He said, you're always the person that is thinking through business problems through the lens of the customer. And he said this in 2012. He was very right. He said, we're going to need to do this in digital. And that's why I want you here. My first thought was, well, doesn't everybody? And, and then I was like, no, actually, that, that is not true. So you actually answered your own question, which is that you have to wear the customer hat. You have to think through problems through the lens of the customer. And you, I promise you, you're going to make better business decisions. Customers are okay with you making a profit. It's totally fine. But if we're going to raise our prices, why don't we increase our value as well? so that the customer gets something. I always imagine, this is now a fictional story, but I always imagine this. So there's a guy, and, I, and it just has to be a guy, in the finance department of a major airline. And this is, say, 10 years ago-ish. And he walks into his boss's office and he says, boss, I got a way for us to make an extra couple of billion dollars a year. And the boss says, wow, I'm listening, what is it? And the guy says, let's charge people to check their bags. And the boss says, but they've been doing it for free for 50 years. And the guy says, exactly. Now that is a decision that is made completely without the customer in mind, right? There's no customer hat. It's just, let's just charge them more and make more money on the backs of our customers. And I told you before, what's your number one asset? Your customers. So why do people hate airlines? Because of decisions like that. Whereas what we could have done is we could have said, okay, we're going to charge people to check bags. And in return, 
we're going to speed up the process so that your bag is going to be guaranteed to be in the carousel by the time you get down to baggage claim. Okay, now I don't mind paying for that as well because you've added a convenience factor for me, the customer. And so that's the difference between wearing the customer hat and not. And when I say that you can always make the right decision is when you think through problems through the lens of the customer, you do right by your customer and you will make more money. Both of those things are going to happen at the same time, right? Because of all the things we said before is that when customers know that you've got their back, they stay longer, they spend more, and they tell other people about you. So it's not that we can't make money. It's not that we can't increase our fees. But, but I actually just wrote a blog post about this that I entitled Price Versus Value. We can raise prices. But if we raise prices and there's no additional value for customers, how do you think our customers are going to react to that? How would you react if you were a customer? And that's the last point what I'd like to say is that all of you listening or watching are customers. Think about all the brands that you interact with every single day. You are a customer. You know the things that you like and the things that you don't. I always love to do in workshops, I always like to ask people, what is your favorite brand and why? And sometimes they're going to give me the obvious ones, which is fine. They're going to tell me Amazon or Starbucks or, um, you know, uh, Apple. And sometimes you're going to say, it's my local hardware store. And I'll say, why? And they'll say, because they really take the opportunity to get to know me. And I love how there's somebody there to show me around the store so I don't have to go wandering aimlessly. And I like this and I like this and I like this. Okay, there's five things that you can now apply to your business, even though you're not in the hardware store business at all. But you can take those same five things about what you love about that brand and you can say, all right, how do I apply this to my business? Yeah. I mean, it's like you said before, it's really just common sense, but I guess so few A lot of, us of it is. have it today. We just need to be reminded, right? So answer this for me. Okay. We're agencies, agency owners. Most of the people watching, listening, they're marketing agency owners. There's a huge burden, I'll call it. I know I'm going to get hate tweets for this or whatever, but that's fine. There's a huge burden about being creative. And everybody, I know, I'm, I'm ready for the tweets. Bring them on. Everybody wants to put all their money on content marketing, content, content, content. And it's my feeling that we put too much money on the creative aspirations and the content marketing and creating content, content, content. And we don't look at the practical needs and expectations of our clients, which is where all the money should go, in my opinion, just like you said. So what's your advice there, like for marketing agency owners in particular, who have this, whether it's warranted or not, need to create all of this content versus maybe, you know, figuring out what those practical needs and expectations are of their customers. So I'm with you on this. So if you get the hate tweets, I'll, I'll back you up. <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, you know, if you put the customer hat on with every piece of content, you can ask yourself, who am I writing this for? Am I writing this for me or am I writing this for my customer or my customer's customers, whatever it is. If you, Cause if you're an agency, obviously your customer probably has customers too. So who am I writing this for? If the answer is I'm writing it for my customer or my customer's customers, it's probably pretty good content. If the answer is I'm writing it for me, then we have to ask ourselves. And again, it's not like we can't ever be self-serving. We can do that every once in a while, but it should be in the minority of times. I think the reason why agencies may fall into this is the difference between being transactional 
and being relational. So think about one of the, I always love, and I know sometimes people roll their eyes when anybody mentions Amazon, but I think Amazon deserves to be one of the biggest companies on the planet. And the reason is because they're always trying to get better. They're always trying to better themselves. So think about a few years ago, what was required to return a package at almost any company, right? We had to box the thing up. We had to go to the post office. We had to wait in line. We had to pay the postage to ship it back. It was a royal pain in the neck. Then Amazon came along and they said, how about if we just let you drop off at Kohl's? That would be great. We're like, cool, that's neat. But then I don't live near a Kohl's. So what else you got? And so then they said, well, how about a UPS store? Or how about a Whole Foods? Or how about this? Or how about that? In fact, how about this? We don't even need you to print out a label. In fact, you don't even need to bring a box. Just bring the darn thing over to your local Whole Foods. We'll take care of it from there. They're making the return process easier and easier and easier. Why? Because they know that it isn't about one transaction. It's about the relationship. I tell a story in my book about a time where I ordered an entire set of pots and pans from Amazon and they had these glass lids and the box came and I was so excited and the pots were beautiful and one of the lids was shattered. And so I called Amazon and I said, hey, can you send me a replacement lid? I wasn't mad, but I'd like a replacement lid. And the lady was very nice and she looked and she said, to be honest, no, I can't. It's not one of our products. I don't have a lid. So she says, why don't I just refund your money and go ahead and keep the pots and pans? So I went from being slightly upset, disappointed that I had a broken lid to woohoo, free pots and pans, (laughs) right? And I love Amazon even more. I say, I think I am not exaggerating to say that I've probably made 500 transactions with Amazon since then. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, they lost a little bit of money on that transaction, but they know better. They know that the price of my loyalty, it's much more important. So when we're so focused on this content, bringing it back to the agencies, I think it's because it's the equivalent of a transaction. Well, we got to give the client something. Otherwise, you know, we got to show them that we're doing work. And so each piece of content is work. And it's we're, we're stamping the stuff out. And we're saying, okay, transaction complete. You owe us $500 for this piece of content. That's different than saying, okay, what can we do And by the way, I love creativity. And I think that the best customer experience companies are the most creative. So creativity can come in lots of different forms besides from content. And if we take that bigger picture view about, so what does our client really need? That's about the relationship, not so much about the transaction. Yes. Such great advice. And I, you know, I think when you're thinking with that customer hat on, you can create content even less of it. That's just more quality, but it fits right in with what your clients are looking for or need or would-be clients are searching for to help solve their problems. So thanks. I'm glad you're in alignment with me and we're prepared for the ugly tweets. (laughs) Yes. We will battle the haters together. (laughs) Okay. So I could talk to you all day, but I know you have important things to do. So I guess I'll let you go. But before I do, can you tell everyone, what are you working on? Where can they find you? How can they connect with you? 
where can they find your books, all of these amazing things that you do? Sure. Well, I am working on a couple of new projects that I'm really excited about that'll release in early 2024. I can't give all the details right now, but the, the hints that I will give you is if we go back to earlier in the conversation when I was talking about how it's the little things in customer experience that really matter, I really want to dive deep into the little things. And I want to make as my mission making customer experience accessible to anybody that wants to work on it. It doesn't have to be a C-level position. It doesn't have to be at the top of the organization. It can actually be any employee in any department of any organization that can wear that customer hat. And so I want to try to encourage and enable that. And so I'm working on some things around that. But in terms of getting in touch with me, my website is dangingus.com. My email is dan at dangingus.com. I actually answer my own emails. It's not an assistant. And then I'm mostly active on, on LinkedIn and a little bit of Instagram. I have actually called back my social engaging mostly because just like anybody, I'm trying to figure out where my clients are. And although they might be scrolling through TikTok, they're probably not looking for my services on TikTok. And so I'm not as concerned with being there, but I am very active on LinkedIn in particular. Both books are available at Amazon. The latest one is The Experience Maker. That's all about customer experience. And the older one, which I I have to say is still very relevant, especially for what you do, it's called Winning at Social Customer Care and is all about the customer service elements of social media. Go read his books, connect with him, make sure you at least follow him on LinkedIn if you're any sort of interested in improving your own CX with your clients at your company for their customers, whatever it is, make sure you follow Dan. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This was fantastic. We will have to have you back. Awesome. Thank you, Brooke. It's been a pleasure and uh, I can't wait to fight those Twitter haters with you. Thanks for listening. If you're new to the show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a long time listener, let your friends know about the show. I'm at Brooke Sellis on Instagram and LinkedIn. And for fun, tag at SM Examiner. Also, be sure to check out our other shows, the Social Media Marketing Podcast and the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. This brings us to the end of this week's Marketing Agency Show. We'll catch you next week as we explore the adventures in marketing agency life. The Marketing Agency Show is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.